Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters! Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you! We got work to do. Now, what do you need from me? Welcome back to another special episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast, where we are once again not talking Star Wars, but Ghostbusters. That's right. We're all about the Ghostbusters flavor right now in light of the new movie, Afterlife. It was super fun having a conversation with Mike Cohen on Thunderquack last week. But of course, we miss Joe Hogan, the heart of the Ghostbusters. So here to talk our favorite moments across all the Ghostbuster movies, we got Mr. Joe Hogan. Sure, I'm not the mouth of the Ghostbusters. Yeah, I know that's I'll, true, but like, I wanted to give you some spirit. All right, I'll take it. Spirit. Hey, man, spirit. How, how you doing? doing? Good, good. We were Mike and I were super sad. You were, uh, you were a- weren't able to make the last one, but I know you've been working your butt off lately with your current projects, and your sleep schedule's been all over the place. So I was like, Joe, yeah. can we make a <laughs> can we make a podcast episode just about our favorite Ghostbuster moments? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was. I think I was awake like. 21 or 22 hours that day and i didn't even realize like i think we said tuesday and i didn't even realize it was tuesday because (laughs) like i just had no concept of time anymore and i just crashed like an hour before we were supposed to start recording and i woke up like oh no when i saw like a million messages from you guys i was like oh no so i i apologize for uh for missing out on that but i'm glad we could uh make up for it with this one yeah well like so for any of you who are choosing to listen, because I know, like, again, this isn't a Star Wars episode, so, um, but I know that, you know, a lot of Star Wars fans are also Ghostbusters fans, and, um, you know, I don't know anyone in my life other than you, Joe, who loves Ghostbusters with such a level of intensity, and, and I've always loved it, and over the last, you know, eight or nine years of our friendship, that love and appreciation of it has just intensified so much because of your vibes <laughs> for Ghostbusters, and... Um, I mean, we've we've watched these movies, oh God, like countless times over the years. We just hop on, you know, Skype or Discord over the years and just throw them on in the background, even if we're working or whatever. Like, it, this is just like pure comfort food to us. And getting Afterlife the other week was such a joyful treat. 
Um, and I figured like what better, like my favorite thing to do on Wampus Lair is talk favorite moments from things. So it's like, let's talk some of our favorite Ghostbuster moments. So like I said, we're going to hit Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2, and Afterlife. We're not doing the 2016 movie just because it just, that movie just doesn't work for us. Um, Mike and I talked a bit about it last week as well. Like it just, you know, just doesn't, just feels off to us. So we're going to focus on the, uh, the canon Ghostbuster stories anyway, because the 2016 movie was kind of its own thing. So, uh, we're going with the, the, the Ivan and Jason Reitman stories, if you will. Um, so that said, Joe, like, let's go right into the very first Ghostbusters movie, 1984. Uh, Man. A year after Return of the Jedi, which always just like every yeah. time we watch this, I feel like one of us says it's crazy that this was the year after Return of the Jedi. Just I think it's and like even though we weren't alive in 84 either, we were both alive for Ghostbusters 2 in theaters. So it felt like it was a movie we we like had a certain level of ownership of. And of course, like the cartoon was on all through our childhood. So like Ghostbusters always felt like part of our life, whereas Star Wars existed before we existed, right? And then we kind of got yeah. into it. So there's just, you know, whenever I talk about like my favorite things to, my favorite things from childhood, I mean, Star Wars became the premier thing, but before Star Wars, it was Ghostbusters and Batman. Um, and Ghostbusters and Batman have stayed with me but ghostbusters in a really special way and i know it's kind of the same for you right oh yeah 100 percent uh ghostbusters is uh my oldest fandom like i cannot remember a time when i did not love the cartoon and ghostbusters 2 especially because ghostbusters 1 the first time i had seen it uh I freaked out and like my, I, I might've told you this. I don't know if I've ever told it on a podcast before. Um, but when I was, I think five, uh, my whole family got together. So my grandparents on my dad's side, my, my mom's mom also came over and I'm like, we're going to do big movie night and we're going to, Oh, we're going to watch Ghostbusters one. Cause at that point I loved the cartoon. I loved Ghostbusters two. So they were like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to watch Ghostbusters one. Oh, it's, it's a big deal for me. And as soon as the library ghost transformed, I freaked out and was like, no, turn it off. I don't want to watch this. is too scary. I don't want to watch it. So my whole family was like, great. And then we, you know, we did something else, but like, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I specifically remember freaking out about it and being afraid of Ghostbusters one for the longest time. So probably tell us about eight or nine, maybe, maybe about eight. Um, and even then I was like afraid of the VHS tape. I don't know if anybody else had that as a kid where they were like, they liked the movie, but it was kind of scary. Like the VHS for Ghostbusters 1 and E.T. both really scared me, even though E.T. is not a scary movie at all. Um, but yeah, other other than that, taking a while before I really came to appreciate Ghostbusters 1, I, I just, I can't remember a, a single time that I wasn't a diehard fan of this franchise. And uh, yeah, I, I'm 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 pumped to go. It was hard to pick moments from the first two movies, man, because they're so like in my DNA. I mean, it's it's for me, it's like you said, uh, you know, Star Wars kind of became the main fandom, but you know, Ghostbusters always remained with me. And then really, I, I think I agree that our friendship and like my friendship with uh, you know more recently our friend Nick. Um, kind of rejuvenated it and, and just kind of like supercharged it. And you, you and I especially like really kind of feed off of each other's enthusiasm and like get more excited about it, even though we've seen it a billion times, but like we keep finding stuff to do, man, between yeah. all the, uh, 
the the location tours that we do every time you come to New York and um you know just watching it and finding new things and then all those you know you, you recently got into the IDW comics which are really amazing and you recently got into the video game a couple of years ago so like that's been another thing and we've always been talking about stuff so i feel like experiencing all these fresh new things together uh has kind of really uh, enhanced my love for it i know it sounds like yours too um yeah 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 it's funny because like we literally did a we watched both movies through a marathon with our buddy jazz yesterday and you know you and i are just like sharing all these things with jazz that we picked up on over the years and as we were you know as we were watching the movies i went back and looked at one of the first posts that i ever made where you and i started watching Ghostbusters together and it was in 2014. So it's been seven years since we've been loving on these movies together. (laughs) And, you know, and since then, you know, we've done, you know, a Ghostbusters one tour of New York city, all the filming locations. Then we did a Ghostbusters two tour with your fiance dressed up as Ghostbusters. Then of course, going to the afterlife premiere with proton packs all suited up. Like it's just been, it's just been awesome. And I know we're all super excited to, you know, thank God that COVID is finally, thanks to the, you know, the, the vaccine and everything, people can do things safely to a degree again. So I know once the weather gets out of winter again, we want to suit up and pack up and go back down to the firehouse in, in lower totally. Manhattan. Um, but there, there's just us kind of just geeking out a bit about just how much <laughs> we love Ghostbusters. But let's, t- let's talk about some of these moments from the movies. Um, so I, I just kind of wrote mine down chronologically from the story itself. So if you don't uh, mind, okay. I'll just – and it doesn't matter. And for, actually, for the first movie, this is how I rank them anyway, so it works perfectly. Okay. So the first okay. moment for me from the first Ghostbusters movie is the scene when they buy the firehouse. Uh, you know, they, they're in there. Uh, does this poll still work? I mean, it's just... I knew you were going to quote that. You say it every single time we watch that movie. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> and I love Ray's enthusiasm for the firehouse. I mean, it's right. It's this dumpy place. Egon immediately is like kind of crapping on it to Peter. Like this place is substandard. Like I don't even know if it's up to code. And Ray is just ecstatic about this space and then as like they kind of have to concede that like all right i guess we're buying it because ray's the one who put up the money um you know we should stay here tonight you know sleep here to try it out Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's just i love ray i love his enthusiasm for this and i mean the firehouse to me we mike and i talked about this a bit last week um but the firehouse in it's the clubhouse, right? It's the adult treehouse yeah. for this this group of buddies to hang out in, um, and like finding it. I, I just I kind of love, you know, that simple theme of it's it's meant to look dumpy and useless and like a piece of garbage, and yet it becomes this really really special place to these guys. Um, so I just I love when they find it and 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 all the promise that this this building presents um and it's interesting because one of my my favorite building in downtown boston when i first moved here i was walking through the city one day it was again very new to the city and i saw this building i'm like oh my god it looks like the firehouse from ghostbusters so i immediately loved it but it was super dumpy and it is still very dumpy it's there's nothing in it and uh it's like to this day it's like that's part of why i love when they first go to the firehouse, because it is meant to look really dumpy. It's, you know, it, it's your typical Star Wars theme, right? Like, what what can come from Tatooine? Well, Skywalkers, you know, it's it's this unassuming place that becomes super special. So that's the first one that stands out to me. Yeah, it's it's really cool that the firehouse is 
kind of I mean when you when you think about Ghostbusters as a franchise and 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 the first film the firehouse really is the only like iconic thing that really is just 100% grounded in reality right like the proton yeah. packs are made up the ecto-1 is this crazy ambulance machine with all this weird tech on it you know the marshmallow man a giant marshmallow man walking through the city slimer a floating green glowing ghost like none of this stuff is real or plausible i mean you know the the tech is kind of plausible but like everything is so fantastical but people look at the firehouse and they know oh that's the ghostbusters firehouse like how many times have you and i visited the firehouse <laughs> and there's always a constant stream of people just like kind of wandering up taking a picture and walking away right yeah. like it's it's so recognizable and so just like i i, you know, I use the word iconic already it just is a like a huge important piece of that that franchise and that film um and it's just, I don't know what it is. Like, I agree. Like, it's just, it's so well-loved. It's just the clubhouse. Like, here's what we, here, like, we get to have all our fun here and then, you know, develop all the stuff and go out and, and you know, but it's safe. It's home. It's home base. You can't hurt yeah. me on home base, yeah. which is why, you know, later on in the film, it's like, oh, no, what happens, happens. But, um, yeah, no, a great, great pick. Great pick. The firehouse is, is awesome. <laughs> well, what's your, what's your first pick? I'm going to go with the first montage where, mm. you know, the, the main theme is playing. It's after their first bust where they're, you know, they had kind of had to take the training wheels off a little bit. And, you know, they stumbled a lot figuring out how to catch Slimer and everything. But then during the montage, we see them hit their stride, right? Like they're doing well. Business is starting to boom. Like we're, you know, they're they're gaining fame, and they're, you know, we're we're seeing them kind of go from amateurs to the point where they're so busy that they have to hire Winston, right? Yeah. Like they need yeah. that third person. Things were so slow, and you know, all, everything was riding on the fact that Dana was their only customer and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, it takes off, and it's you know, it's just a combination of you know the amazing. Speaking of icons, like the iconic theme. Like, that theme song is, like, everybody in the world knows the Ghostbusters theme song. And, you know, you have that blaring and all this this great footage of them running around, going on jobs and, you know, interacting with people. And, and it's just, like, such a great, like, New York City, Manhattan, like, moment, like, feeling. It's, it's such, like, you know, I'm obviously very attached to it because I'm from here, but... It just feels like, oh, man, the city is this, like, living, breathing thing, and here they are finding their place, finding their voice. You know, these three misfits that, you know, didn't really know what they were meant to do are figuring it out, which is something that, you know, I, I really relate to. Like, it's something that's, it's, it's important to see your heroes sometimes figure it out and overcome their obstacles. So I think just the fact that that montage, uh, it just, it's meant... It's like engineered almost to make you feel really good and really excited that your heroes are succeeding. So that's how I feel about that. I, I just I love I can watch that montage like on loop all day. <laughs> oh, I just I love the way you just talked about it. I've, I've, I've never heard you articulate it so beautifully, which is <laughs> it is. I think it's so cool because, you know, that this top of the movie is them going kind of down and out. They're these these three outsider professors in this interesting wanky like side of the of Columbia University 
who get thrown out and yeah, boom, all of a sudden they've, they found their place. They found their footing. Um, and now they're heroes too. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's so great. Like, I think that's why you and I both love the Ghostbusters as a team too, because they are, they're, there's literally nothing special about them other than the fact that they're geniuses and super curious individuals. Um, you know, like they're not super strong. They don't have super speed. They have no superpowers. They're not super rich. <laughs> you know, it's they're They are as, as blue collar as you can get, you know, they're, I think that's what makes them great. I mean, I guess to some degree, they're not all blue collar. I mean, not everybody can afford to have a PhD. I mean, that that certainly took some work, but still. Um, yeah, I, I love that, though. Uh, well, my next one is something I know you're going to talk about. So uh, at least I'd be surprised if you weren't. But it's it's the moment when uh, Ray and Egon are talking about, excuse me, Ray and Winston are talking about Judgment Day. That that great scene at night. They just dr- had to take my number one, Carl. <laughs> well, I, think, I figured I knew you were going to talk about it, but I was like, I can't not talk about it, too. Um, uh, I I like it because they're talking about the Bible. <laughs> like, of course, I like mm-hmm. that scene, yeah. you know, and the way it just opens with, hey, Ray, you believe in God? Never met him. <laughs> just, I, I love that exchange so much. And Winston, like me, loves Jesus's style. Um, you know, I can get down with he that. He sure does. <laughs> But it's it's this like it's this great moment where um, Winston was always my favorite character growing up. And that's mainly because I loved him in the cartoon. Obviously, he doesn't get as much to do in the movies. But I love this scene um, because it's Winston who's he's the one trying to make sense of this. Like in a in a weird way, Ray is just like Ray accepts that there's lots of crazy realities. But Winston, again, Winston is the every person. And for Winston, it's it's him trying to figure this out. And he goes to the thing that he knows, which is the Christian religion. It's talking about Judgment Day. And, you know, of course, Ray famously misquotes the book of Revelation because they they screwed it up. It's supposed to be Revelation 612, right? Not 712. Correct. Yeah. And uh, but Winston's, you know, kind of saying like, hey, this stuff's like actually happening. Um, and. Yeah, and and I like it too, just because there really does seem to be a, a a real camaraderie between these two. You know, Winston's the new one on the team, but he and Ray, just in this little scene, seem like buddies. The way that Winston can just talk about anything that's on his mind, and and Ray's going to honestly respond to it. I really enjoy it. And then when they put on some music, it's just like some really cool random music. Um, and you know, and then we close it with that beautiful shot of the Ecto One with the lights flashing is kind of dawn approaches, you know, it's, I, I, as I was thinking about the scene was, I was putting together my list. I was like, all right, this is actually kind of a really simple symbol scene of, you know, as, as night is fading into the dawn, the ghostbusters are the ones that kind of help usher in the dawn. They're the ones who are going to keep the darkness at bay. So I really enjoy that scene even just for that. So, um, but what's your next one? Cause I know, I know you're going to want to say your other, your own take on this scene. Well, I mean, I might as well yeah, jump okay. on it now sure. and then I'll just talk about the other one later. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you hit a lot of the points that I, you know, I feel the same way about, uh, I, I you and I are kind of on the same page about Winston being, you know, us, right? Like Winston is the audience. The reason Winston was brought into the, uh, story in the first place was because, you know, they realized we need a character who, you know, isn't always, you know, Dana is around for the early stuff, but then Dana's not around for the rest of the film. 
uh, she's going to be separate from them, and we need a character who's going to kind of act as the audience for us to introduce and explain all these fantastical elements like the gear and, and all that stuff. Um, so Winston was created. And, you know, because of that, he wasn't really as prominent as, you know, many of us wish that he was. Um, but what he is there for, he's excellent at. And I, you, you're absolutely right. You get such a wonderful feeling for him as a person and as a character in the scene, trying to make sense of everything that's going on. And I agree. Ray just kind of, this is like Tuesday for Ray, but for Winston, <laughs> Winston's brand new. He's like really still trying to wrap his head around all this stuff. Like, you know, he has seen blank that will turn you white. So, you know, it's for him, like he hasn't lost the, uh, you know, almost, um, I don't want to say wonder because Ray definitely is still the one like, wow, kind of <laughs> ghostbuster. But <laughs> like, I don't know. I like, I like Winston's, um, very outside perspective of the situation. And, you know, that scene is something that is so, I think, understated in general in this film, just because let's look at all the things we have going for it. We have the setting is the Ecto-1, which is the car that everybody loves, right? Like, everybody wants to see more of the Ecto-1. And we're actually spending an entire scene inside of it. So I'm already happy that we're inside the Ecto-1. <laughs> Number two, most of the movie is fast and, you know, quick witty dialogue and jokes and, and all these things. But, like, every once in a while you need to have a scene that's just going to slow things down, not to a crawl, but just to give you a moment to breathe and to think. And that's what this scene is. This scene is the pause. It's the calm before the storm, right? Because what mm, happens yeah. after this scene? Yeah. You know, the, the containment unit uh, gets opened up. Dana's possessed. Uh, you know, Zool and, and uh, Vince Clortho are, are, you know, wreaking havoc and all that stuff. And, and they, you know, bring about Gozer. And it's the final battle. And the, the Ghostbusters are arrested. And it's just one thing. Boom, 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 after the other. This is the last moment where we kind of have a quiet moment for our heroes to kind of like really just think about what's going on exactly. Like what, what is it we're walking into? And it really is kind of that moment where the, you know, the hero is, is almost looking up at the mountain that he has to scale. Uh, you know, they're, they're really figuring out like, Oh, this is, this might be a lot worse than we realize. Like, what did we get ourselves into? Especially, you know, that moment where Ray is speechless, like his, his, defense mechanism is to turn the radio on to not think about the horrible thing that Winston already realized and just brought to his attention. Mm. So I love that. I love moments like that. I think that stuff is so great because like a lot of movies always feel like they have to fill out the space, right? They always get a, there's the, if characters aren't talking, then it's, it's not working. Like, no, like let your characters breathe. Let them have a moment to think like let they're going to, the audience is going to think when the character's thinking. So just like, I love that stuff. I love those moments of uh, repose, I guess is the right word for it. Um, and plus the music. The the score in that scene is, I think, my favorite track in the entire movie. Uh, I love the music in that entire film, but like that is just, oh, all right, Carl, you got to stop me because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to stop on this scene. So <laughs> well, we, we'll so we got to move on. We can just do, one. yeah, this, this episode can just become the, the, the Winston and Egon show. Yeah, um, basically. Ray, <laughs> Winston just, and Ray. I just loved everything you said. It was so, so cool to, to hear you like build that out even more. And interestingly enough, this is the first, this is the, the first scene that is, 
inevitably going to connect to afterlife because Ray points out the selenium girders in that building, right. um, which obviously right. is going to play a huge part uh, in in afterlife. Um, so yeah, it's such a great scene. Um, so my 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 top scene from the movie, and again, we we may share this one as well. I'm not sure, but it's it's I just call it saving the day. It's the uh, let's run some red lights. You know, as they're they're pulling out from near the mayor's mansion there and heading down what's what that's central park west right they're heading down it's correct yeah so uh you know that's a long trip too like that's city hall is is pretty far downtown uh and then uh central park west like that's not a short drive that's that's with uh, well i guess they had the police escort so they were probably going quickly but that's still like a 20 minute drive yeah uh at least well it's yeah i was gonna say it's nice that they can run all the red lights um but right, exactly. I mean, this, you know, something I, I've I've talked ex, ag nauseum about uh, the Rogue One theme as they're marching out to the, you know, the U-wing and you know, and leaving for um, Scarif. You know, I, I love that like pump up march out scene. But this to me is this was this is my original one, and it, it's and because of that, it's kind of my favorite pump up scene in all of movies. It's it's just our heroes riding into battle. Um, aboard the Ecto-1, we've got this really incredible track called Saving the Day by the Elisi Brothers, who are clearly an 80s band. I'd, I mean, I've still never heard of them beyond that song. Um, yeah. And, I mean, I, I, curiously enough, I should at some point, I mean, considering how much I enjoy music, I should at least just, like, check out some of their other stuff. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I love the shot as the Ecto-1 pulls in, and we're kind of getting the shot further back behind the crowd. It was, we see the tops of the heads, but the top of the Ecto-1 just coming in. I just love that visual of the car coming in, and it screeches to a halt, which, of course, is why I played this little scene at the, at the top of the episode. I just was like, I can't cut this short. It's just too good. Um, but in it, and it's in that scene, too, where you see the whole the whole town, like the whole city is behind them. And as they start chanting Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, and it again, kind of, this is me riding your coattails from what you were talking about earlier with the montage. You know, the movie starts with them kind of being rejects and here they are being cheered by the city. You know, they've, they've really come full circle. Um, it's, it's, it's such a great, powerful moment. And just like, I love the, the, the little behind the scenes note, which was again, they were battling super hard right up to release date almost to get the name Ghostbusters for the movie because they were having to buy out this old cartoon or something. And that when they were filming on set, they had all the extra shouting Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. And they had someone from set call one of the executives, hold out the phone and just say, this is why it needs to be Ghostbusters. Cause it would sound ghost smashers, ghost smashers. That just doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, I don't have, I don't have a tremendous amount to say beyond that, except that it's, it just gets me pumped up every time I watch it. Even, even all the times we've watched this movie, Joe, uh, I almost always notice that we both tend to get a little quiet, at least for part of that moment, just cause like that song, you just got to feel it. You can't help but get excited to, to, to ride into this, this huge battle with, with the heroes. Um, so I, I, I love it. Just about every time in the past, like, two years or so that we've watched this movie, I've usually, I usually spend it getting work done because, like, I'm always, it's just usually during the day, so I'm always working during the day. Um, you know, and I throw it on because I can multitask. I always stop what I'm doing to watch the scene. And the, and the other scene we just talked about, the, you know, the, 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 the bridge scene. Um, but 
Yeah, it's it's just it's such like a funny thing how the Ghostbusters are, you know, three nerd scientists <laughs> who are not conventionally attractive, are not in particularly great shape, aren't, you know, buff, you know, jawline, stereotypical Hollywood movie heroes, right? There's, there's, there's just three nerds and a random dude who joined the team because he just needed a job. He just needed that steady paycheck. So it's, it's just so cool that, like, you know, I know now it's, it's um, you know, with Afterlife coming out and, and the 2016 Ghostbusters, the mantra now is anybody can be a hero. Anybody can be a Ghostbuster. You know what I mean? But, like, this was the first movie to, to like, start that. Like, I know, yes, you know, the 2016 and Afterlife kind of really expanded what that meant. But, you know, this film really did start with the message like, hey, yeah, nerds can be cool. You know what I mean? Like, being smart's cool. Science is cool. Even though this isn't, you know, real science. It's science fiction, technically. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's like, oh, I kind of dig this message where it's, it's, it's saying, like, you know, if you don't fit in elsewhere and you know you really pursue the things you love and you believe in which Egon and Ray are doing Peter is amazing at advertising and being <laughs> the mouth and negotiating and all that stuff like he found his place certainly with the team and you know Winston as we know you know no spoilers yet uh like obviously Winston did very well for himself but this is where he started here with the Ghostbusters and like that gave him his start um like it's it's even though it's fiction, like, it's just cool. Like, it's great to see your heroes, you know, flourish and be accepted. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, you know, your validation should come from within. But, like, to see the heroes that you care about, like, really kind of rise to the top and rise to the occasion. And, and then, like, everybody gets it and appreciates it. Like, that's such, like, a great, uh, inspiring thing. And I agree with you. If you can watch that scene and not feel pumped up, like... I, you check your pulse, man. I'm not sure you're still alive or not. So I don't know, man. Like, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that scene. That scene is so 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 good. It's not my. It's not the other one that I chose, but it was an my honorable mention. Nice. Well, that that's great because I'm super curious what your other one. I mean, again, I know your favorite was the scene we just talked about with Ray and Winston, but what what is your other one? So my number two would have been uh well is the. End credits, starting with, I love this town, and it's the same reason why that, you know, you chose this one. It's our heroes emerge victorious, you know, everything's okay. I don't know what it is, but, like, when films and, like, video games and, like, whatever, anything that you spend a lot of time with your characters, seeing them after they overcome their challenge, even if it's just, like, a few moments after their challenge that they, you know, their their victory... It's just, it always makes me feel good. Like, I like seeing them smiling. Egon doesn't smile in this movie. And he smiles in the end credits. He, he kind of <laughs> yeah. has, like, a like a weird mischievous smirk in the prison scene. But uh, it's, it's really, like, kind of a nervous smile. Because he realizes that things are very bad. But, like, to see, like, a genuine relief on our characters. Like, Dane is free of, of the of the possession and the things that were like really just like weighing on her this whole film, you know, 
Peter Peter got the girl, which is like really all he wanted in the entire movie, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, not to make Sigourney Weaver sound like an object, but like it's cool that, you know, the two of them kind of found each other through this whole thing. So that was cool. Like I said, Egon smiling is like unheard of. And Janine is relieved to see Egon. OK, even though, you know, they never become a pair like they're relieved. And, you know, Winston, I love this town. He's super energized. And Ray's, you know, Ray gets his smoke. He does a little wave and then he gets in the car and like, you know, gets to drive off into the sunset. And everybody gets to go from the sunset except for Lewis, who wants to go with them in the car, but doesn't. But even Lewis is OK, you know. It's, it's it's such like a great like anybody want to interview me i'm an eyewitness yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like lewis being lewis right like oh he'll be fine that little scamp lewis um but yeah i, I just you know the theme's playing the ecto one is the sirens are blaring and it's just everybody's happy and relieved and like i said they get to write off in the sunset and i'm just like what, what a great moment i always think that first that movie always leaves me feeling Amazing. I always feel like a million bucks at the end of that movie. Um, and even yesterday when we watched it with, uh, with Jazz, uh, I don't know if you remember, I was like, okay, so we agree that the movie's not over until yep. the Slimer <laughs> approaches the screen, right, guys? Even though the end credits have started. And he was like, yeah, of course. So that's, that's, I always need to watch the end credits. It's, it's like pivotal for me. Well, and the, uh, it's something you and I have talked about over the years as well, like with, with both the, the original two. And I, I think we're going to be able to make this statement even for Afterlife to a degree. Um, they just both those movies end feeling so good. And we, we've talked about this before about like what movies end where it's just like it's just a really happy ending. Right. Where you just have a big grin on your face. And this movie for I think both of us is just the pinnacle of that. Same with the second one. I think we end both of these movies kind of in the same happy places. Uh, and and in, especially today, like we live in such a cynical world, especially in cinema. Like it, that's like the cool thing to do in movies today is just how bittersweet even can you make the endings, right? Like like I yeah. love Endgame, but it's still like super sad. Like it's, it's a great, mm-hmm. but also like it's bittersweet. Rise of Skywalker is the same way. Like all these new movies, even our heroic movies kind of have these bittersweet takes. Like we have a very cynical view of life. And it's not to say that that, that, that shouldn't be presented every now and then, but it's also like, yeah, but sometimes there's just like, there's just some, there's something good about just celebrating joyfulness in life. You know, no, Janosch, the joyfulness is not over. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> never. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love that 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 point you're making, right? And I think both these these first two movies just they end with you just feeling really good. And I think like I, you know, like I said, this that's something that for whatever reason doesn't seem to be popular right now and and I especially think especially after the last 2 years. I mean, the pandemic year itself and even this post weird pandemic year is it's been tough. So like we need these things that make us feel good. Um, you know, they went through a hard journey in the movie. They had a hard time beating Gozer, but they did it and they did it together. Um, and yeah, I, oh, such a, such a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's go into our, our, our childhood favorite Ghostbusters yeah. 2. So we were both alive for this. I know you saw it in theaters as a, as a yeah. little, little tyke. I don't remember seeing it in theaters, which means I probably didn't. Um, and I'm fairly certain I didn't because I'm almost positive that the first movie I saw was Lion King, which was in 91, I believe. Wow, that was... 
Yeah. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, I think that was the first one I saw in theaters. But be that as it may, I never saw this in theaters, but it was on TV a lot, and I watched it a lot. And it, and it, it had a very – had some similar vibe to the cartoon, which was – what I watched the most of when I was young, because it was on all the time. It was, I mean, I was a kid. The cartoon was made for kids. And when I saw, when I saw Ghostbusters 2, I immediately loved it. Kind of similar to your story about the library ghost, the scene in the courtroom when the chairs start flying up before the Scolari brothers <laughs> reappear. That used to scare the hell out of me. I remember I used to run and hide behind the couch. And my mom would always be like, should I turn it off? And I was like, no, I, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> Um, but, and then I saw the first movie second and I was like, oh, that's cool. But I really love the second one more. I mean, that's no longer true. I mean, the first movie is like everybody says, it's lightning in a bottle in the same way a new hope was, um, you know, it's just, it's so iconic, but the second one, it's, I mean, it's just as fun of a movie. Um, I love this movie so much. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's. It's got a lot of similarities, but it also has some differences. And, and as of late, thank, you know, I was so happy that just a couple of months ago, we finally, for the first time ever, got the film score released, the, like the instru- oh, instrumental music. That, oh, um, good. Yeah, that uh, Randy Edelman did. And like listening to that music, I mean, again, the music is totally different between the two. Elmer Bernstein has a very different score than Randy Edelman, but they're both brilliant in their own way. Um, but Randy Edelman's score is like the theme for the Ghostbusters in the second movie. It's a, it's a hero theme. It sounds like a hero's theme. Whereas Elmer Bernstein's is this quirky, goofy theme for these, you know, this band of quirky scientists. So it's, again, it's, it's, I think Ghostbusters two, when it came out, it was recognizing that this is, you know, this is a huge franchise in pop culture now, especially for young people because of the cartoon. These are their superheroes. Let's make them be superheroes. And they are a little bit more so in this movie. Um, but all that to say, shall we talk some of our favorite moments from it? Um, I, although, also, if you have some things you want to say about Ghostbusters 2, I know you love this movie too. I don't want to you know, just slip right past that. I, I just feel that this movie is very underrated. Yes. And it's not perfect. Uh, I think the first one is as close to a perfect film as we can get. Um, I think this movie is not as perfect, but it's, I don't know what it is. It's the, the flavor of it because it's definitely more kid friendly. Um, I mean, there are moments that are not, but I don't know what it is. Like, it's just like the, um, it's, it's so hard for me to put my finger on what it is about this film that just like still really works well for me because I'm, I've gotten pretty good at being able to separate nostalgia with being objective in my criticism because I think a lot of things that I used to love as a kid I can kind of look at now and say all right well this didn't really age that well maybe this was never really that good but this film still like really really holds up for me um and I agree like the first one is lightning in a bottle but I really wish people would kind of get off this film's back just because it's not you know as incredible as the once-in-a-lifetime amazing film that was Ghostbusters 1 is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it just bugs me that people write this film off and, you know, maybe they saw it years ago and don't remember it. Like, if you're on the fence about Ghostbusters 2 or you're whatever about it, you haven't seen it in a while, 
Give it another watch, but do it in a way where you're not expecting it to be as good as Ghostbusters 1. Just go in and try to enjoy it for what it is. It's it's just like a fun continuation adventure in this universe, right? Like, that's all yep. it is. It doesn't need to be anything else than that. You know, as long as you're you're entertained and you're enjoying it, you know, there's... Who cares? <laughs> like, yep. Who cares? Yep. Yeah, no, right right there with you. And it's funny because there's even, um, I mean, even other Ghostbuster fans. Um, I mean, I've, I've met Ghostbuster fans, like, in, in costuming things at Comic-Con. And they're like, oh, the second movie kind of is kind of trash. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, you're dressed up as a Ghostbuster it. right now, and you, you don't even like half of the movies? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, we don't need to change anybody's mind, right? Like, right. we're still going to love it no matter what. It doesn't really matter to us if anybody else Absolutely. doesn't love yeah, it but you know it's, it's sad to see that people you know really rag on this movie when we feel it's just it, it's not really that yeah deserving of that right i mean i think you put it so perfectly by just saying it's the next adventure like it's just the next adventure in there in this world of the ghostbusters and if you approach it that way i and you love the you love them in the first movie i don't see how you can't like this again like critically speaking i get why critics were harsh on it but it's like it's all right. It's the next adventure. <laughs> you know, critics were hard on Empire Strikes Back in 1982 because they're like, oh, it's so different. It's not a fun adventure. And it's like, what the hell do you people want? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but that said, um, Joe, the first moment that stands out for me is very early in the movie. And I love it. It's the birthday party. Uh, it's another You're stealing my answers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do. Why do you think we're such good friends? Um, <laughs> It's it's Ray and Winston again, another Ray and Winston moment. They, you know, the, the the brilliance of you know Dana just saves Oscar. We get the Ghostbusters theme swelling up. We see the Ecto One sirens bla- blaring, and boom, they show up at a kids party. Like they are, that's where it's immediately open that these guys are down and out. They have been forgotten. The party itself is really fun and. Uh, this was the first big thing you ever like pointed out to me that I will now forever love, which is right after Jason Reitman, that's right, the director's son of the original two, who now has made Afterlife. He's the kid in that movie who says, you know, my dad says you guys are full of crap and that's why you went out of business. That's Jason Reitman. Um, and, uh, and Ray just says, song. And as they start to dance, Ray's face of elation as he starts to get into that Ghostbusters theme. You pointed that out to me years ago, and I just can't not see the joy on Ray's face in that moment. And it's so quick. It's just like, ah! Yeah. And then right back to smiling. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then, of course, the, the kids want something else, right? It's almost like this little meta comment, like it, it, almost as if that's what's going to happen when, after the movie even came out. You know, it came out the same summer as the 1989 Batman film, which, of course, blew it away in the box office the week after that movie premiered. And, uh, you know, I mean, I personally don't like the 1989 Batman film, but I understand why it was huge. Um, But uh, almost in an interesting way, you could almost dubbed out He-Man for Batman, right? Like as if it just is this reminder of like everybody's already forgotten about the Ghostbusters. And my favorite part of the scene is actually as they're leaving. I love the music that's playing as they're leaving. It's this just like really jaunty. It's, it, it's essentially the, the song on the album is called Venkman sixth Avenue strut. It's this really jaunty, almost jazzy piano riff. They're playing that as Winston and Ray are leaving the party. And you know, they're just kind of, they're kind of giving us a quick exposition of what's happened is, 
ever since the events of the last movie, you know, even though they saved the day, bureaucracy happened, they get screwed and lose their business. And what I love about it is once again, Winston is just kind of the practical every person who's just pointing out like why everything went wrong and is trying to convince Ray, like you got to face it. Ghostbusters is dead. And Ray Ray's closing line is yeah, but what a ride. And he's just got that, that beatific grin, like that joyfulness that he a little wistful Ray. Yeah. Like for Ray. Yes. They may be down and out, but like he's still holding out hope that they're not, they're not for the Ghostbusters is not dead in Ray's heart at all in that moment. And, uh, I absolutely love it, and I love just and again. It's a, it, that's why, like as an adult fan, my favorite character has now become Ray because I just love that that passion and that 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 sense of wonder that he always has. Um, so that's the first moment I wanted to mention. So I guess, do you want to talk about it now too? Uh, I mean, honestly, you kind of touched on everything that I wanted to. Um, Sorry. <laughs> try, no, no, no. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful scene. Um, yeah, it's just more of the stuff that I love, right? Secto one, it's Ray and Winston. It's, it's Ray loving being a ghostbuster, even though he's not actually busting any ghosts. It's kind of, it kind of almost reminds me of us in a way, how like we love suit, even, even Tina, my fiance, like we love suiting up and like just being (laughs) ghostbusters and like going out and interacting with people. Like, the three times that we've done it, people, like, light up when yeah. they see, what the hell? The Ghostbusters are here. What is going on right now? This is so, like, weird. But, like, every time people want to take pictures with us, they're just, like, happy to, like, the <laughs> Ghostbusters are this, like, weird, beloved thing, which is kind of the opposite of, of this scene. But, like, Ray is still, like, holding on to it just, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but, like, I, I love putting that stuff on. I don't, I, I, you'd think you'd feel, like, self-conscious or silly or childish or whatever, but, like, it feels so good to put that on and, yes. like, put the pack on and, and, like, just go out and be around other people and, like, people just, like, see them freaking out, like, oh, oh the ghost as well, and, like, asking questions about your outfit and everything. Like, it's cool. Like, it's such, like, an awesome feeling. Um, and and well, I'm probably projecting that onto the scene here that Ray feels the same way, but like it is that like Ray loves this business. He loves being a Ghostbuster, which is kind of how we feel. Yeah. So. Well, and like you said, you're right. Like all of us know the joy of seeing cosplayers at Star Wars, you know, celebration or at any of the comic cons you've ever been to, right? Like they're full of awesome cosplayers and we certainly get excited. But like you said, Joe, every of the three times we've done it, this has just been us going into normal situations. This isn't us at a convention, right? It's, yeah. it's outside of a movie theater. It was at this like famous historical building in, in lower Staten Island. It was us walking around Manhattan, just on the streets in Ghostbusters costumes. <laughs> like, it, it was like Manhattaners. Manhattaners oh. loved us. Oh my oh, god, man. loved us. Oh, people just getting out of cabs and being like, "Can we get pictures with you?" and shouting across the street at us, "Who are you going to call?" Like it was awesome. On uh, on Halloween last year, Carl. Obviously, you you were not here for it, but it was the only time that we suited up without you. It was Tina and I because we finally had packs and everything. Tina and I, for Halloween, we decided we would stay outside because it was the first, you know, pandemic Halloween. So we stayed outside, we had masks on, and we just handed out candy to the 
I don't know, last year I was only about 30 kids came by. But, you know, all the parents were, like, really excited to see us. So finally, um, it was starting to get dark, and I said to Tina, do you want to just, like, walk down, you know, the, the main road near my place and just, like, see what everybody's Halloween decorations look like? Like, I'm just curious. And as we were walking down that main road, we had so many people... <laughs> smiling and honking and giving us thumbs up like oh ghostbusters and just it was like 10 minutes that we walked down and then back the, the total of 10 minutes and then one of the last interactions we had which was really funny to me i'm not gonna actually say it um but somebody just rolls down the window and goes f you ghostbusters and i look at tina i was like it, this is just like being in manhattan this is like the this is probably exactly what the actual Ghostbusters dealt with. It was Walter Peck. A lot Peck. of love, and then some of that. Yeah. It was Walter Peck's son, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was awesome. Like, people just love seeing Ghostbusters. I don't know if it's just a New York thing or what, but, like, because, like, every time I've done it, it's been here in, in, in New York. And it's just, like, Ghostbusters are just, like, New York heroes. Like, New Yorkers are so proud to like claim the Ghostbusters as as their you know New York heroes, yeah. So which is neither here nor there for me, but like the fact that you know these films, the first two at least, took place in Manhattan and you know the video games and most of the lore, uh, it, it definitely makes it feel very home and personal for me. Yeah. Well, since that was one of yours, and I, I made a lot of the main points, why don't you give us another one of yours? Okay, cool. Uh, I'm gonna go with the. Statue of Liberty uh, when they show up and slime the inside and, and use the Statue of Liberty to uh, walk all the way to the uh, Manhattan Museum of Art. Um, mostly because I love that as silly as it is because it's not like the statue really has legs on the inside. Uh, you know, it's this movie's Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, right? Like, yeah. I get it, it's repeating all the same beats, but this time it's, oh, the good guys are in the giant thing walking down the street, and they're being cheered instead of everybody's running away from them. Like, I get it. I get the contention with it. But what I really love about it is that it's taking another, you know, another, bring up New York again, uh, a New York landmark, an, another iconic piece of, of New York history... And turning it into the Ghostbusters just kind of really thinking outside the box. Like, how are we going to get through this this wall of slime? We, we need a tremendous amount of positive energy. How are we going to do that? We're, so they took this thing that is a symbol, something that appeals to the best in each and every one of us. Something good, something decent, something pure. They took that. And they used it as a a champion and a weapon for good and for positivity. And I love that they, you know, are it, it's this movie's saving the day moment, right? Where they're like the the Manhattan is losing its mind, seeing them rolling up in on on the Statue of Liberty. And the Statue of Liberty, you know, hit it, Mama! Drop their hammer on him. Like those, those great <laughs> one-liners. She's tough. She's arbor check. I don't think they make Nikes in her size. She's naked under that tote. Like, there's so many great lines that come out of this little sequence. Would you raise I know your I'm kind of feeding using monument. a few scenes. <laughs> What's that, Carl? Sorry. Raise your hand if you're a national monument. Well, hello, yeah, miss. It's like so many good ones. <laughs> and it's the first time you see, like, the slime blowers in action. And it's just like, I love it, man. Like, this movie is, is you know, if the firehouse is 
you know, one of the most important pieces of, you know, visual icons from the first film, like the Statue of Liberty, they obviously the Statue of Liberty exists outside of this film, but it's such an important, iconic piece of the the imagery for this film. And I I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's great because like Winston says it in the first movie, we've got the tools, we've got the talent. And Again, like they're going into this kind of dire situation and yet they don't particularly seem overwhelmed. They don't seem overly stressed out and anxious. I mean, I'm sure they are to a degree, but I just feel like they believe in each other so much in their own their own skill set. The, the, the brilliance of Ray and Egon and their ability to get through to everybody. And like you said, thinking outside the box, that was Egon's idea. You know, it's Egon's the one who kind of puts them onto it. Um, you know, how do we rally the people? So they even have a sensibility of like what people need to kind of pull themselves out of their own, you know, ruts. Uh, so you know, I, I love that. I love that about them. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do good. think Peter was pretty stressed though. Cause Dana and Oscar were True. trapped inside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like his way of dealing with that though, is to just be extra silly. So, um, yeah. which he is, which is perfect. Uh, and well, and like that said, like, it's kind of sweet that, you know, when, um, oh my gosh, I, I'm embarrassed that I can't remember who hands him the mic. Is it Ray or Egon inside the Statue of Liberty? It's Egon, right? All right, Venkman, you're, yeah, it's almost, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's Egon. So almost as if like, he knows like here, you entertain yourself, entertain us. That'll keep your mind off things almost, right? Like. Yeah. Work uh, the crowd. Cause yeah. they know that. Venkman is going to get the energy flowing. Exactly. Like he's he's he knows how. Like you said, he knows how to work that crowd. So. Right. Right. They know each other so well that they know they know who to pass it off to. I mean, not that it's hard to know that it'd be Peter, but still. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's great. Uh, well, my next one is the kind of like they're researching with the slime inside the firehouse. Again, kind of similar to my the first movie. Uh, okay, I, yeah. I love I love when they're together in the firehouse, and you know they're. They're, Ray and Egon are showing Peter and Winston what they've learned about this reactive mood slime. It's, you know, it's, it's, you can positively charge it or negatively charge it. Uh, and it's, it's, as it is, as, as it stands, it's been charged by all this negative New York energy. Um, and uh, the scene really works for me. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's definitely funny, you know, is I love the differences between Ray and Egon's way of yelling at it. Ray's is just, you know, belittling it like, you worthless piece of slime. You're nothing but a short, unchanged molecule. You know, Egon is getting so technical with it, which is just, again, just highlights the the comedy of of these characters. But my favorite part of the scene, even though it's super short, is them just standing around the toaster after it's done dancing. And Peter pretends that he's getting eaten by the toaster. And they all just jump to his aid and he clearly is playing a joke on them and they just tackle each other. And granted, like that's how the scene ends. Like we don't get, but they're probably like, like a bunch of like buddies hanging out, having fun, wrestling on the floor, right? Like there's the playfulness of this group is amazing to me. Like those, those were all, those have always been my best kind of friends or people that I can just be silly and play with. Like that's why Jason and I are super close friends. That's why you and I are super close friends. You know, the ability to just be silly and play with each other requires such a level of comfort and vulnerability. And and I love that that exists between these four guys. Um, You know, it just, it's such a simple little scene that tells us everything we need to know, even though none of these characters ever have deep emotional conversations in either movie. 
a scene like this just tells you that they are really good friends and they just can they can just play and have fun together and that's all they need from one another and it's yeah i mean it's it's such a good scene to me Mm. hey carl right now egon has a kid Oh, yeah. Interestingly enough, apparently, yeah. <laughs> uh, and hopefully we'll find out more about that because they, they seem to be hinting that we will, which I'm really hoping we do. Yeah, um, very strange. Yeah. It's fine. It fits. It works. Yeah. Not a big deal. Yeah. Um, well, what's, what's your final Ghostbuster 2 moment you want to mention? I'm going to let you guess because okay. I feel like you, you, you know what it is. No, I'm going to say the courtroom. It is absolutely 100,000% the courtroom bust it's, we see them they're there so one of my biggest fears is being like misunderstood and like being accused of things that i didn't do and i hate that this happens to them like they put the slime down there and then you know the the judge doesn't believe in ghosts and then here they are here's their chime to shine they, you know, don't essentially clear their name because it's not like they prove that they didn't put the slime there. But because the judge sees, oh, these guys haven't been lying about the other things. Maybe they really are, like, telling the truth about, you know, the, the slime stuff. Um, and I just love that they go from being on trial, being sentenced to, to Rikers Island, and, uh, you know, 18 months in prison... And then before that can happen, they get to be the heroes that we know they are. And they're, they're finally back. You know, we spent the whole movie uh, waiting to see our heroes back in the saddle and like really doing what they, what they do best. And then finally the moment comes and there's two of them and they take care of both of them at once. And it's, you know, it's just this like heroic moment of, oh yeah, we're back. You know, you know, we're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only two in the box, ready to go. Like these great moments in this scene. And um, something that I've pointed out to you that I've really come to appreciate, it's a little detail. Uh, when Peter is busting, I think it's Lorenzo. I don't remember which Scalari brother. I think it was the, the, the fat one. I don't remember which name it was. So he, he's busting one of them. And he, he's you know, pulling it back. They tell, bring him back to the, uh, so we can trap it. So he's using his heels like on like the heel heels of his feet to like shuffle back and in real life we know that the proton pack is really heavy and there's nothing on the other side of you know there is no thrower there is no ghost pulling him back away from it so him using his weight to throw it back like he could very easily fall over because we know he's making pretend but the way he's shuffling with his feet is just something that, like, I would have never thought to do. But the way he's doing it makes it look like he's really using his weight to pull this giant fat ghost that's struggling on the other line of this, you know, neutrino wand. And it's just like, it's such a, like, crazy thing that I don't know if he was directed to do that or if he came up with that because he's just, like, such, like, a, a great actor. But it's something that once I noticed it, I always appreciated it. And I always, like, now every time I watch that scene, I notice it. And it's just, like, one or two shots that he's doing it. It's really quick. It, it really is, like, I'm really blowing it out of proportion with how important it is. Because it's really not that important. But it's just something that's, like, that little extra, like, chef's kiss. That, like, <laughs> really sells, you know, 
this is a real world, right? Like, this is really happening. There really are ghosts. And these three nerds really are able to catch it using their technology. And they're seasoned veterans at it. So this is, for them, this is like another Tuesday. And it's great to see them, like, back at it and, and, you know, in their element again. Um, So, yeah, it's just, you know, the return of my heroes. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing better for me. Yeah. Um, well, and it's it's funny, like, right, again, one of, uh, you can easily say, like, oh, well, this is just another version of the Slimer bust from the Sedgwick Hotel, but it, kind of. The, but I, and then in, a, in an interesting way, though, Joe, like, I actually kind of like that it is because it sh- there's a big difference between the bust at the Sedgwick and this bust. They're a lot more in sync, right? Like, they, oh, like yeah. you said, they're seasoned veterans at this point. They're mm-hmm. on top of it. Um, I even love, you know, just the the names they yell out to each other, like Spangy, grab the trap, <laughs> you know, like they have nicknames for each other. Like, again, just yeah. to kind of reinforce that camaraderie that exists between them. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, that detail that you pointed out, like you were just saying with with Peter, the way Bill Murray acted that. I mean, I never would have noticed that. Um, and also with like the new like Blu-ray versions and 4K versions that have come out, the sound quality is actually a lot better. And I never really heard until recently where he yells, "Woo! I'm going to bring you home to my private zoo. Like, I mean, you can like hear these things and even Vankman like screaming like he's screaming out with joyfulness. Like they're having fun. Like it really does. They don't really seem scared or intimidated. Like they've got this and they almost like, again, like they enjoy it. This is who they're supposed to be. This is what they're called to do. Uh, and, and I love that they, they get to do that in the scene. Um, the music in that scene is really good. You know, the little march that we get. Again, we get very heroic music for the heroes in this movie. Very different from the first movie. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm with you, Joe. Like, I, I've, I've never loved this scene as much as I have until started to watch the movie with you. Like, again, like your love and appreciation of it has, has intensified my own. And it's, oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> it, it is so good. I, I I was about to put it on my list, but I was like, I bet we're gonna have a lot of similar things, so I purposely left it off. But I, I uh, it is it is uh, it is an honorable mention for me for all sure. Right, good. Well, um, there's there is one more thing that I just realized that uh, I want to mention about it. This is like so Egon in the first movie doesn't like actually smile until the uh you know the end credits after they've done it but like you said like they know they've got this they know they have it to a point that egon even makes a little joke and has like a little perky (laughs) murky grin like he's being like coy about it like he's being a little cheeky egon like wow egon is like really coming alive here like i love that like even egon is so elated to be doing it again that he makes his little joke that he's pleased with himself about. So it's just like, oh, I love this scene. It's so good. <laughs> well, and, and just a quick shout out to I love Lewis running in at the end, just going, wow. You know, and yeah. because I like what they do with his character, even though I don't have any specific moments of him. Um, I, I love Rick Moranis as Lewis Tully. And it, he, he kind of, again, in a new way. He really gets to be us in a different way in this movie. Uh, well, like, he was never us in the first movie, but he he's kind of the excited young us because he wants to be a Ghostbuster. And this is the first yeah. scene that really shows us that, you know, his, his excitement. And, you know, um, they're, you know, two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they be slow, right? Like just the fact that they have like lines like that, these guys have been doing this, right? Like they, they know what they're doing. It's just super fun. Um, yeah, so I, I, I knew this was going to be your favorite, so I, I left it off. But so that said, oh, I, I, I have uh, my my final moment 
for the movie that I want to bring up is also early on in the movie, and it's uh, at Ray's occult bookshop when uh, you know Peter walks in, and uh, it's I like that the you know again the movie early on at that birthday party sets up this new story trope that these guys have been forgotten there. And if anything, they're considered essentially frauds at this point. No one believes them anymore, even though they're always ready to believe us. No one wants to believe in them. Um, so I love that. We kind of get a window into their worlds. What are they doing now? Uh, and of course, you know, Egon is working as a professor again, doing interesting research. Of course, Peter's got some ridiculous TV show. And of course, Ray's running an occult bookstore. Like, it's all perfect. Again, I wish we knew what Winston was doing. But again, he's often a forgotten character, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I love this scene because as Peter comes in, you know, you get the sense that they're still really good friends, even though the Ghostbusters, his kind of fallen apart is a is a business venture if you will the friendship of the ghostbusters that's not diminished at all they're still really good friends um and i mean i love the the mythological lore of of all the ghostbuster movies um because i'm a person who loves myth and religion and so like just like them doing this research again always raise willingness to always think outside the box of conventions and normal dogmas just makes me super happy. I mean, I mean, Ray Stance is Dan Aykroyd. Like, there's, there's really not much separation between the character and the actor. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is that person in real life. Yeah. Just listen to any interview with him, and he's just like going off about astral projection and aliens, and yeah, he's he is just like all in on this train. Which hundred <laughs> percent, I'm always here for it. He's so great. Um, but yeah, so I just I love the scene that like Egon and and Ray still do a little bit of ghost busting on the side, if you will, right? Like they take these little cases, they they enjoy the research, and Peter comes in and he's just the jokester, right? You know, with his book for magical paths to fortune and glory. Good luck with that, Vankman. Um, you know, again, it just it, I I feel bad. I don't have a lot more to say, but it's just you know, it's a, another great little scene that just reminds us that even though you know. Their venture fell apart. They're still really good friends. They still they still have a they have found a different type of purpose, even though it's not their fullest purpose. If if that makes sense, right? Yeah, like they're absolutely. they're making they're making the best out of a bad situation, and I feel like probably what makes it even more tolerable is the fact that they still have each other. So uh, it's just a fun little scene that I I've I've always enjoyed. I like that Ray uh, in that scene. I, it's just it's a quick throw throwaway line. I wonder if it's actually improv or not. But I love when he says "my best to the coven" to that oh, random yeah. dude who yeah. just buys stuff and leaves. The guys walking out, "my best to the coven." Like the coven knows Ray stance. It's yes. just funny to me. <laughs> like it's just awesome because of course they do. You know. Yeah. That of course brings us to the newest movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Heads up, in case you've not seen the movie, I'm fairly certain some of our moments are going to be spoilers. So if you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife and you're still planning to see it, um, turn off now and come back after you've seen it, unless you're okay with being spoiled, because I know at least one of my one of my points is a huge spoiler. So uh, you've been warned. So again, check out and come back after you've seen it. Uh, Hi. Go see it. What are you What are you listening to this for anyway? Go Go see <laughs> yeah, it. Right. Exactly. I was actually listening to a a podcast yesterday. Uh, it's a Ghostbusters show that, and they had Jason Reitman on talking about the movie. And at the beginning, they're like, 
obviously spoilers ahead. And Jason Reitman goes, he goes, listen, if you listen to this Ghostbusters podcast and you haven't seen Afterlife, what are you even doing here? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I, you know, this was super fun to get to experience with you in, you know, in costume with our proton packs on, you know, this was so much fun. Cause again, we've been waiting for, the continuation of this story for you know 30 years and yeah, again not not to go not to knock the 2016 movie but even even as it was we knew from day one it wasn't a continuation of the story it was something new and it, we were less excited about a reboot than we were a continuation um so <laughs> this movie did not disappoint at all i mean totally different flavor uh well not flavored just different. I mean, it just, it's different. It's a different movie from the first two. Um, but I would say it, 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 it maintains so much of the spirit of the first two. Um, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think though, kind of the, the linchpin for that is the score. Like the score mm, is yes. almost directly from the original excuse me, original film in a lot of ways. So, you know, we, we mentioned spoilers. There are a lot of elements from the first film that make their way into this one. So because of that, it kind of makes sense that it has that almost like direct connective tissue, so to speak, uh, to the original one. And I understand why people feel like, oh, it's like The Force Awakens, where it's just like the original beat for beat. Like, I get that complaint, but... I also think there's enough different and enough things are kind of turned on their head and things are different enough that this does feel like its own separate thing. And, you know, there's there's a lot here that they've never done before, which is, I feel like, important to do when you're telling a story in an established franchise. The worst thing you can do is just tell the same story again. You know, even if some of the beats are the same... You, you need to add things to spice it up. And I think this film does a really good job of that. Yeah. Also, I want to say, while yes, we did wait 30 years for this film, I still think the video game story holds up. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Like, this is this is great, and I love it, but, like, the video game is also, in my heart, also kind of deserves the mantle of Ghostbusters 3. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's... It's, you know, the story is edited very closely by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd. Uh, it's the, the voice actors are, you know, Ernie Hudson. It's the last time Harold Ramis got to portray Egon, and it's amazing. Uh, Bill Murray, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, uh, Peck, whose name I can never remember. What is his name? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, Will Atherton or something? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's into this Walter Peck. Uh, even Max von Sydow is like <laughs> yeah, Easter egg Vigo in the in the firehouse. <laughs> like you can go interact yeah. with the painting stuff like that. So it's just and like you can tell this game is made by people who love 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 Ghostbusters. It's just a labor of love. Yeah. But this isn't the Ghostbusters the video game podcast, so I will leave it at that. Anyone who's interested in that game, go play it. It's amazing. Uh, but yes, Afterlife, Carl. What what is your first one? I gotta know. Well, as as I've been very clear with you in, in our in our chats the last since the movie came out, I am absolutely nuts about Phoebe, <laughs> you know, mm. um, and my almost everything she's in, and almost every moment she's on screen, I'm I'm loving 
that story. Um, but the first moment that I want to mention is when she and podcast first meet, you know, played by Logan Kim. <laughs> I love that scene. They're sitting in the back of the classroom after, you know, Mr. Gruberson, played by Paul Rudd, puts on Cujo <laughs> for the summer school students, <laughs> which is just hilarious. But podcast, just like she's sitting there by herself and boom, here comes this kid leaning forward, speaking like in a really interesting way into this massive microphone. And then he just sticks it in her face. And they're just so silly together. And it's very clear that both of them, um, again, I, I still wish there was at least one scene of them because it's in the trailer. There's a trailer scene where she gets bullied at summer school and we don't see that actually in the movie. Um, and again, I don't say I'm not saying this to say I want some I don't I want to see kids being bullied, but I think it just furthers it makes it very clear like she is not accepted by her peers, right? Like it just helps to see that. Um just but like that, grandpa. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just like the original <laughs> crew. Um but all the same, you know, Logan Kim tells us that he's like she sits alone, rejected by her peers. On the run from herself. <laughs> you know, like it's just he's just so silly and um i'm gonna actually like i'm smashing this moment in with another one because i don't care because they're little moments and it's also a, a little bit later on after after this cute little scene together they're walking he's kind of walking her home towards you know towards the dirt farm and he asks her to be his lab partner and you know i think it just really takes her by surprise that he wants to be her friend. And she also asks him, probably takes him by surprise if she can listen to his podcast, you know? So it's this really, there's just this beautiful chemistry between these two characters where they see each other, where you can assume that no one else ever does, you know, like Phoebe's mom tries. We don't know anything about podcast home life, but it's very clear that neither of these characters, like they're both considered eccentric in their own way. And therefore probably don't have a lot of people close to them that take interest in them. And here they are taking interest in one another. Um, and this, just this friendship. And when, you know, he asks her to be his, his lab partner and she says, yeah, I'd love to. And she smiles for the first time in the movie. And it's just this really cute little moment. Um, where again, it's these, that's, that's, you know, that's one of the central themes of the original Ghostbusters is they were the rejects that find meaning. And these are two outcast characters who, who, who find each other and find a sense of belonging together. So I just, I love Phoebe and podcast. So I, I, I apologize. I lump two things together, but I don't care. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's your show. I'll let it slide. It's my just one time. It's my podcast. It's, it's, <laughs> you are the host. You can call me podcast. Why do they call you yeah. podcast? Well, I call myself podcast because of my podcast. <laughs> He's so cute. Yeah, we we leaned over during in the theater and we're like, all right, that's Carl's new name. It's podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, I love their chemistry. Like you, you pretty much articulated everything better than I could. Uh, they are wonderful. Uh, I want to see more of them. <laughs> like, I really, I know we're not, Jason Reitman kind of went on record saying there isn't going to be an extended version of this film, but I would love to see more of the two of them just being little nerdy goofballs together. They're so great. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I think they have some of the best chemistry in the film, if not the best relationship in the film. I agree. I agree. Uh, but what's the first one you want to mention? Uh, also a Phoebe moment. And uh, it's, uh, can we get into spoiler territory? Is that okay? Yeah, we've given the warnings, Joe. <laughs> all right. All right. Very good. Uh, so the scene where 
They have trapped Zul, and uh, they're on the run back to the dirt farm. At the very end, Gozer has returned, and uh, Vince Clortho is chasing the uh, the little trap, and Phoebe's in the gunner seat and having a conversation, uh, getting uh, Carrie Coon up to speed. What is what is her name on this movie? I forgot. Oh, Callie. Callie. Okay, so yeah. you know she was possessed and is confused and everything. And they're they're kind of bringing her up to speed on everything that's going on. And in the middle of of it, Phoebe like shoots out the uh, into the gunner chair, like out of Ecto One, fires, and then comes back in and like is, it almost has like a all right, where where were we moment? And um, you know, uh, Callie's just like Phoebe, you're you're, and Phoebe's just like so matter of factly says. I'm a scientist, mom. And it's just like, Phoebe found herself. Mm-hmm. Like, she really, she, you know, like her grandfather, is in her element, figured out her purpose. You know, maybe not to be a Ghostbuster, but to be a scientist. Like, Phoebe's in the zone, man. Like, this little <laughs> awkward kid who's, yeah. like, you know, struggled this whole film to, like, really figure out, like, what's going on? Who am I? Why, you know, why, why am I such, like... A, a weird nerdy outcast like here she is this this is phoebe this is this is phoebe at her best you know you said it before where you know ray wasn't uh you know ray was happy at ray's occult but he wasn't his his best self here's phoebe being her best self yeah and like she from from you know really from the point that they realize that they have to save the earth until the end of the film phoebe knows what she's gonna do phoebe's like you know really brave for a kid that young. You know what I mean? Like, she holds the trap out to lure Gozer yeah. into the, you know, the the mega trap later, which, you know, I'm kind of veering off too and adding another example like you did. Um, but just like her grandfather standing on the porch of the dirt farm, holding up the trap, like, come and get it. Like, she's so confident in the science behind everything and the fact that she's a scientist and, you know, like... Where was this kid earlier in the movie? She found her voice. She found herself. And it's yeah. just, I love it. I love, love, love that character. And, like, I, I think it's such a great character arc for her. Yeah. Well, I love her in that jumper, the the Ghostbusters jumper, too, right? The <laughs> yeah. fact that the sleeves like, the sleeves and the pants, the pant legs are all rolled up probably, like, nine times. Because she's, she, yeah. I mean, McKenna Grace is a very tiny person. And she was also 12 when they filmed this. And she's very small. So it's just, there's an adorableness to it. And yet... The face is, it's not going, she's not, she's not playing adorable in that scene. She's playing badass. She, you know, she's playing yeah. the face of courage as she holds that trap out. You know, like you said, channeling exactly what Egon did at the top of the movie. Um, so, yeah, I love that scene. Ne- actually, it's funny that you say that, Joe, because my next moment is a very similar scene in spirit. And it's the scene right after they come home from being arrested and Phoebe confronts her mom. Why didn't you ever tell me my grandfather was Egon Spangler? You know, and yeah. right, like, the, this is where we really see the, the difference of how they understand Egon play out, right? For, for Callie, he was the father who abandoned her. And that's going to make for some strong feelings that she is incredibly entitled to. And again, I would lo- I mean, I really want that backstory. I want to know what Egon's relationship was with her, when he left, all that you know, only one person's been asked that question directly in interviews, and it was Gil uh, Kennan. How do you say his last name? Gil Kennan, the, the co-writer with Jason Reitman. All he said was, I can't answer that because we haven't 
we're getting to that later or something. Like he, he indicated that we might get that story later on. All the same. Callie has no respect for Egon. She hates him. Um, and again, she has her reasons. But, you know, Phoebe has had this profound relationship with a ghost of him. And she, she just, she has accepted that that's him and that's how he's communicating with her. Um, and quick little side note, another thing Jason Reitman said in one of his interviews was that for him, this movie was a lot about communicating and how people often struggle to communicate with one another and how certain people really struggle to communicate people like Egon or Phoebe who process emotions differently, right? Like, again, you and I have talked about this, Joe, as several people have, which is, I think both these characters are meant to be somewhere on the spectrum or, you know, or, um, you know, they, they process emotions differently. So it's actually quite beautiful that Phoebe, through no verbal communication, has been able to build this relationship with her grandfather. And mm-hmm. I, I love this scene because for her, she's telling her mom, you know, why didn't you tell me he was special like me? He was a scientist like me. Like she, and, and the, again, like it's hats off to McKenna Grace. I mean, she is just a profoundly wonderful actor in this movie. Um, and you know, the way that she is showing such profound emotion, the tears that are coming down her cheek as she's saying this is she feels such a kinship with her grandfather because what made him special was his passion and curiosity for science. It's the same thing she's always had. And she finally feels seen in that. And she Mm -hmm. wishes her mother could see her like that. Um, rather than just some, you know, she just, she just sees Egon as an asshole is what she tells Phoebe. But to Phoebe, he's not an asshole. Like he came there with a purpose. He is, he's a pretty profoundly wonderful person and, and she has felt such a profound connection to him. So I, I love that scene every time. I mean, I've seen the movie four times and that scene every time makes me tear up. I just, I love the way she plays that scene. Um, so that's my next one. So very similar to what you said though, right? Like she, <laughs> she's come into the center and, and Callie even says like, I'm Phoebe's, I'm so happy you found your place here. You know, I'm really am. I'm so happy you found yourself here. Um, but she can't seem to fully honor it yet. Um, mm. until we get to the moment you talked about, which is great. So, um, but what's your next one? Uh, gonna be kind of, <laughs> this is kind of a weird one. I just really like the return of Gozer. <laughs> like, awesome. I don't know what it is. It's like, oh man, Gozer's back. <laughs> this is crazy. Like the weird new, uh, like rock bang body she has now like it's almost like armor instead of weird bubble bath on a leotard um <laughs> it's just like super cool looking and the fact that like you know she she rips evo shandor in half after he's like oh the goddess of all goddesses <laughs> that's <is> awesome <laughs> and then like even even the moments leading up to her coming back i this is so strange that i like i like this but so, Vince Clortho and Zool have possessed uh, Gary and Callie, right? Yep. And, you know, they already consummated and, and like, Gozer is, is about to return. When they're walking to the, like, to their, like, plots on the altar, like, their their spots, they're holding each other's hands, which is, like, really weird when you think about it. Like, two demons just, like, really actually kind of care about each other. Like... They really like each, even like, I like your eyes, which is, I think is a stupid moment. Like, I like that they're like into each other. It's weird, but like, it's, it's, there's something about it to me that's like, still like kind of funny and strange and endearing. Um, 
and just like seeing Gozer again. And, you know, Olivia Wilde looks awesome as yeah. Gozer. Oh, man. Like, I'm not, like, the biggest. It's not that I dislike Olivia Wilde, but, like, I don't care about her. But she's she looks great. Like, I love this new look. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just I was so excited and pumped that, oh, man, here we go. Round two. Here's the... Uh, the door swings both ways and Gozer's back, man. Like, we, we, last time she was just, well, it was just banished because it's whatever it wants to be. Um, and decided to come back as, as, you know, the, the Gozer that we know looking even creepier and scarier. And, you know, she's even given the, uh, the terror dog little, like, neck scratches, like little, little, like, like petting a puppy. I love it. I don't know. It's just so weird. It's such like a weird scene. The pacing is a little strange, uh, but I really dig it. Like, it's, it's just like, ah, it's just like my hype was through the roof <laughs> at this point. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. It's 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 so cool that Gozer comes back. And, and I love the way Olivia Wilde inhabits the role. I mean, she is she has all the mannerisms down of of the original actor from the first movie but also like it's a really cool kind of upgrade to the costume um you know the hairdo is awesome you know and you know you mentioned this to me like when we first saw it, like it's so cool that the first thing we see gozer do is rip evo shandor in half right like gozer doesn't you know mess around like it, you gotta be you gotta be freaked out a bit by it by her um it's really cool having gozer back and you know, it, it makes sense, you know, for anybody who's like, oh, they're just bringing back the same villain. It's like, well, Ghostbusters 1, they never, they didn't capture Gozer. They didn't defeat Gozer. They just closed the portal, right? They destroyed the gateway between the dimensions. So that, that banished Gozer back, but it didn't, it didn't defeat her. So, you know, like Phoebe says to, to the other kids when they're suited up, you know, he came here to do what, to finish what the original Ghostbusters started. Um so, yeah, it's so cool having Gozer back. I I love the Gozer vibe. I love the look of the altar that we get. So good. Um, and uh, Yeah, the altar, like, exploding out of the wall yeah, is, like, awesome. insane. And not to mention the altar that's in the well itself. Like, it's just so cool when they go down the well and see that massive Gozer head with the, you know, the, the all the, like, sculpted bodies reaching for her. It's so cool. Um and I even love the little moment between Phoebe and Gozer when she's just telling her a bunch of jokes. You know, what do you call a fish with no eyes? A fish. <laughs> she's just it's so cute. I freaking love that scene so much. Um, and Gozer's just like kind of dumbfounded by it. It's uh, it's a great little moment. So, yeah, I'm with you. I love I love Gozer being back as well. Um, but that said, my fi- my favorite moment, I have a feeling we're going to have the same favorite moment, which is kind of the final showdown. Um. I'm guessing that's your favorite as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean... More specifically, something else, but yes. Yeah. Okay, so I'll go first and then please continue. And again, you know, we've already given the spoiler warnings. We've gave a few spoilers, but this is... All right, this is all in. This is all in. So if you're still with us, we're we're just... The finale is huge spoilers, so you've been warned. Um, But of course, it's, you know, they, they get to the farm... They're giving it everything they got. They kind of can't, they just can't seem to overcome Gozer. And then boom, the OGs return. Um, You know, Ray, Ray Winston and Peter, they all show up perfectly playing their roles. Bill Murray is so good as Vankman. This weirdly is one of my favorite little Vankman moments across all the three movies. Um, 
it's so good, but it, it really hits that emotional high point when, uh, it, for me, it's after the, the OGs have been thrown to the ground. Even they can't seem to overcome Gozer here. And then Gozer gets shot in the back of the head. And as she turns around, there's this awesome shot of Phoebe just standing there with the proton pack. Um, again, it, I, I said this when I was when Mike and I were recording last week. It's very similar to like Ray catching the saber in Force Awakens, right? Like this is our new hero. Um, and as she's struggling against Gozer, and those two ghostly hands of Egon appear to help her hold the Neutrano wand. And Joe, I don't know if you've caught this. Um, I, I for whatever reason I caught it on the last time I was watching the movie. But several times when Phoebe is, is using the proton pack earlier in the movie, a lot of times you'll notice that. The, the the kickback from it eventually causes the Neutrano wand to jump out of her hand, right? Like it it's almost a little too much for her. I mean, she's she's a little 12-year-old. Like it's a lot to hold on to. So I actually like that he grabs hold of the Neutrano wand with her because we've seen her have a hard time holding on to it earlier in the movie. So it's actually very practical why he grabs it. It's not just him showing up to show up. He's also physically helping her hold on to this thing that's that's hard to hold on to. Um, but yeah, the, just the emotion. I mean, again, you and I have, after all these years, we don't, we don't really go to Ghostbusters to, to cry, you know, like we don't go there to have tears, to have deep emotions like that. But when we see Egon there in that moment, I mean, it's, it's hard to not cry. (laughs) It's just so beautiful. Um, and in a really powerful way, it's, it's for Phoebe, it's kind of, it's the big emotional payoff for all that faith and trust she's had that this has in fact been my grandfather guiding me all along through this entire story. He's been the one helping me fix the proton pack, helping me figure all this stuff out. He's been the one there and now here he is manifested, right? It's this, it's this really concrete way of showing her like, yes, Egon is here with you. He, your grandfather is here with you. He's fighting this battle with you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love, I love that scene so much and there's so much more I could say, but I'm going to shut up for a bit so you can say some things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's econ it's, it's, I did notice it. Um, so I saw the film twice. I plan on seeing it again, uh, as soon as I can, once I get a little bit of work out of the way. Um, but I will confess that since then, a few times I have hunted down the ending on YouTube as a cam version just because I really wanted to see uh, that whole end sequence again. So any any of the clips I could find, I was I was rewatching all of them kind of over and over and over. Um, and I, I noticed that the shot where Egon's hand comes in, she really is having a hard time with with the kickback of the Neutrona wand. And the and Egon's hand, like you said, it, it does stabilize it. So I did pick up on that, but more in my like you know recent viewings of the cam versions, I didn't actually pick up on it in theater. Um, yeah, this is this is the film that I, when Harold Ramis passed away, I never thought we would get. I thought, well, that was it. That was our window. We missed it. We're not going to get it. You know, the video game is amazing and. That's enough. That's Ghostbusters 3. Um, and then when they announced that they were going to do this movie, it was, you know, my excitement was fever pitch all right away. I was like, I don't, you know, this movie doesn't need to be Ghostbusters 1. It doesn't even need to be Ghostbusters 2. I just want to see more of these characters. I just want to see more of this story. Like, tell me more of this story. It doesn't have to be the best one out of all three. I just want, I want more of these characters. And, um, 
I'll get a little personal on this one. Um, last year, I caught COVID. And I caught it very early. And it was literally March 2020 when I got it. I don't know anyone personally who got it before me. Like, And I felt like a real idiot because I really don't leave my place very often at all. I'm always here working. I barely leave. And somehow I caught it. And... You know, I, I, you know, I didn't have to go to the hospital, but I did go try to get tested. And it was so early on that, you know, they didn't have COVID tests at uh, urgent care. They told me, no, nope, no, nope, we are positive that you have it. And, uh, you know, we're not going to give you the test right now. You can, you can go to one of the mobile testing centers, which is like you stay in your car and they, they test you. Um but like it was so early on, they were saving all the COVID tests and urgent care for um, old people and people who were like about to die. So it was really early on and it was really scary. And, you know, nobody really knew what to expect with this and how out of control it was going to get. And, you know, I was quarantined for two weeks and at this point and it, it was the last night. I didn't know it was the last night, but it was the last night that I had a fever and throughout that two weeks, that fever just kept slowly getting higher and higher and higher. It was about four in the morning. Uh, I had a, a 102.5 fever and I started to really freak out. And I said to myself, am I going to, am I going to see outside of this room? Am I going to die here? Am I ever going to see my fiance again? But at the time she wasn't my fiance, but that was another thing. I was questioning, like, am I going to get to propose and, ma and marry Tina? Like, and all these things going through my head, like, am I not going to get to do these things? Is this how, like, I was really faced with my mortality. It was a really gnarly moment um, because I just didn't know what was going to happen. And this is going to sound real silly, but like, as a huge diehard Ghostbusters fan, I was like, Am I not going to get to see this film? Like, this is something that I've wanted my whole life, as silly as it is that, like, you know, I'm facing my own mortality. And one of the thoughts of, you know, there were more other things that were much bigger. But also, the, the just the, am I not going to see this film that I wanted my whole life that I never thought I'd get? Like, is this really, am I not going to get to see this movie? So, I was a little emotional the you know maybe an hour before we were gonna go and i think i already told you that story carl yeah um yeah. and then yeah. being in the theater with you and with tina on the other side of me like i was so thankful to be there and then you know seeing egon just kind of like everything washed over me like i remembered everything i remembered feeling that way I remembered, like, everything was just, like, I made it. I did it. Here I am, you know? I, I proposed to Tina. We got engaged a few weeks ago. Um, well, a few weeks ago at that point. Now it's, like, uh, now it's a little over a month ago that we got engaged. Um, and it was just, like, this special moment, like, wow. I, you know, whoever thought that we would get to see Egon Spengler be a Ghostbuster again? even for that one moment and it's Harold Ramis and you know, it's obviously not really Harold Ramis, but it is in a way it is. And it was just like, for me, it was just such a, a beautiful moment that is more important to me than just a moment in a silly movie that I wanted to see for a while. 
It was just like that, you know, the, the culmination of, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me, but I got out and here I am, here we are, everything's going to be okay kind of thing. And that's, that's what that scene was. That scene was Egon's here, everything's going to be okay. And, you know, obviously the movie plays out the way that it plays out and, you know, Egon gets to um, have that moment of, you know, with everybody, really. He gets a moment with everyone, which is so beautiful. And, you know, he gets forgiven and he... And Egon gets to cross over. Instead of being trapped, Egon fulfilled his purpose and, and gets to cross over. And, you know, I don't know if there was a dry eye in that theater. Um, <laughs> not in our row, at least. Yeah, certainly not us. Um, uh, you know, and it was, it's, it was so satisfying. And then, of course, just like leading straight into Ecto-1, back in New York... And the classic Ghostbusters animation title screen coming back. and Oh, man. What a... It's just like... <laughs> what a, in the words of our good friend Ray Stance, what a ride. Oh, hell yeah. What oh, a ride. Yeah. Um, well, and I... You know, it's worth mentioning. I loved... You know, I mean, I, it was great getting... That you were got to sit between, you know, me and... And then your fiance, which is awesome, but I got to sit between you and a proton pack. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, you were. We bought, you had my. Yeah, yeah we. You <laughs> bought extra yeah. seats to put the proton packs in, which was great because it would have been a real pain to have to like put those in front of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, we we did the uh, like the really roomy seats where you could put your feet up yeah. and everything, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to have them in the aisle because you know, yeah, I, yeah, first yeah. of all, it's a fire hazard. Second of all, I don't want to put them on the floor. And third of all, you know, they're, they're our opening night. There really weren't that many seats missing. So I was like, you know what? I, I want to support this movie. This is the kind of film that, like, I want to see. Yeah. So let me, whatever. I'll throw them a couple extra bucks. We'll, we'll keep the packs on the seats and we'll, we'll boost the sales a little bit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, I think that's a great place to, to kind of, to wrap it up because, yeah, I mean, this this movie from start to finish was not in any way kind of what I was expecting. Now, to be fair, you and I have been reading spoilers since they were available because we couldn't help ourselves. Um, yeah. So well, a lot of them were wrong too. Yeah, so of course. Like it they still was are. kind of a surprise. Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely some big things that that were said in the spoilers that just didn't pan out. And but the movie we got was just so good and. I think the best way to say it is Jason Reitman from day one was saying like, this is a love letter to my dad and to the fans. And that's what it is. That's what this movie is. And I think for those of us who really love Ghostbusters, uh, this movie is going to hit just right. You know, um, it's that, that, that closing message, that final post credit scene with Winston and Janine, um, which clearly leaves it open for sequels. And when Winston says, when I was, you know, busting ghosts with the guys taught me that I didn't have to be afraid, that I've got the tools and I've got the talent. And I feel like, again, like, just like the other two movies ended on a very joyful note, so does this movie. Like, I mean, there is that little bit of bittersweet because Egon passes over, but um, it's... It's it's not bittersweet because again, like we, everybody is happy, like everybody is. They have found themselves again, and even for the original original characters and Winston. I mean, they've set him up. He's this like multi million, 
dollar, uh, you know, the finance executive. And it's very clear that he's going to set up some sort of Ghostbuster core because, you know, the final final post credit scene is him going back to the firehouse. And it's clear that he's bought it back. And the he pulls, you know, the Ecto-1 gets pulled into the into the firehouse. And it's like, yep, Winston's going to set this up. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know about other folks, but I for sure, I for sure would love some more Ghostbuster stories from, from this particular team because the sky's the limit, man. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so there you have it, y'all. There are some of our favorite moments across the Ghostbusters universe. Um, and like anytime we do any of these types of shows, uh, would love to hear some of your favorite moments from any of the movies, whether you've, whether it's Afterlife or the second or the first movie, even if you want to say, like, I really loved this moment in the 2016 Ghostbuster movie. That's cool, too. Like, very, very cool. My favorite, my, the, the one thing I actually do really like about that movie is the last college I worked at. That's the college campus they film all the college scenes on for the for the 2016 movie. And a lot of it was filmed in Boston. So I, I at least like looking at the movie because it's like, I know where that is. I know where that is. It just, you know, didn't pan out for me. Um, but that said, any of your favorite Ghostbuster moments, we always love to hear them. Um, so please feel free to share them. Uh, Joe, before we go, um, if people want to just stay in touch with you or and you know all the fun art projects you're always up to, where can people follow you? Joe Hogan Art on just about anything. <laughs> uh, I really don't use Twitter, uh, but Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, all that stuff. There you go. And uh, as for us... You know, we'll be back next week with a, a regular scheduled Wampus Lair episode. Uh, and you can always follow us on Twitter at Wampus Lair. We're on Instagram at The Wampus Lair. You can e- always email us at wampuslairpodcast at gmail.com. But thank you, everybody, for checking out this fun special episode all about the things we love about Ghostbusters. Uh, for the ghost of Jason and Joe, uh, I'm Carl, and we'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side, Carl. Carl.